0: For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike Jorgensen. I'm a former pastor here and, uh, guest preaching this morning. And, uh, I got a call from Daryl Friday morning that, uh, he wasn't feeling that great and so I asked if I could fill in and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. And then I went through my sermon writing process, which is a, uh, it was on a shorter timeline. And to some, it would look a lot like laying on the couch watching college football. But underneath that, there was some really deep uh, scriptural insight and prayer going on. Um, but I'm delighted to be here with you this morning on our first Sunday of Advent, uh, which is what I've chosen to pick up this morning for our text. Uh, so we'll be in Isaiah chapter 9, which is page 573 on your pew Bible. If you have your own Bible, I have no idea what page it's on. But what we're going to talk about this morning is uh, the real meaning of Advent, which is what I called the sermon I now kind of just scratched that out of, If You're a note taker. It's not a great title. But what I've observed is that in our world today, there are two coexisting yet barely connected celebrations of Christmas. And they all happen at the same time. Uh, but on one hand, you've got the historic christian understanding of christmas it's the belief that god gave the gift of his son and human flesh to redeem the world and conquer sin and death and all afflictions and on the other hand we have what you might call like a cultural secular version of christmas and this is a a general cultural belief that's filled with family and giving and peace and trees and ornaments and gift giving and hot chocolate and a general message of love being good um and both of these exist and both of them use the same terminology. And on the surface, they may even appear very similar, yet they have their own soundtracks. And if you don't believe me, I, when I was in my college days, I worked at a mall and the Christmas music would come on. And in, in, you know, it was a cycle of maybe 40 songs and you would never hear the name Jesus or anything about a child being born, yet it was all Christmas music. And so it's like, yeah, it has its own soundtrack. And certainly the message told in the mall is that it is about consumption and buying and uh, all of this other stuff. So these two different traditions, they have their own soundtracks, their own stories, their own traditions. But beneath the surface, there is a different message going on there. And as Christians, we don't have to choose one or the other you know we're free to celebrate you know this generally very good stuff that our culture enjoys and celebrates this time of year so we don't need to shun or mock uh, that christmas we can freely participate in both but as christians our primary focus should be on the historic biblical account of christmas and perhaps the epitome of this cultural christmas is the increasing popularity of uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. Raise your hand if you are familiar with these, you've seen one. I heard there are more than 100 new Christmas movies coming out this year. Uh, in case you're doing the math, that's like three a day, new ones to binge watch uh, during Advent. Um, so, And that's in addition to the uh, ever-increasing canon. But uh i brought to me with me a helpful guide that will help you write your very own Hallmark Christmas movie we can put that on the screen now and um, in fact we can even do one together so you just pick one from each column and so you know you choose one uh, the plot generator let's say uh, a recently single interior designer returns to her small town at christmas time to enter a folksy contest and magically falls in love with uh, some guy and his dog that sounds like a Hallmark Christmas movie, doesn't it? And, you know, there's just infinite possibilities up here. Uh, and also, that's at the bottom. Also, the only old man in town might actually be the real Santa Claus. Um, and so I like having fun with that. But I understand it's, uh, you know, it's a, a sacred tradition in our culture and increasing popularity. And again, this is not an affront to Christianity. That's fine. You know, we generally find stories like that charming. We can... Uh, probably pull that off the screen now since we don't need people generating, uh, you know, writing screenplays during the sermon. Um, but for many, this cultural Christmas, it serves as a lighthearted distraction from our lives and from the state of the world. And that's really the appeal of the movie that I just wrote uh, in front of you. It's that it serves as a distraction from how troubled our lives are, how troubled the world is. And at the end of each year, we are all exhausted. From watching the injustices that are all too common in the news and politics, watching court trials, uh, hoping for justice, watching uh, friends get fired, other friends pass on and die, and all of the evils of racism, sexism, and dehumanizing behavior that is sadly routine in our world. And what this cultural Christmas offers is a distraction from all of that pain and a broad hope in our own ability to solve this by becoming better people and becoming more loving. And so, for many, Christmas celebrations may seem to offer a pleasant distraction from the troubles of our world, but Christianity's idea of Christmas offers both hope and joy while challenging us to confront all of those problems in the world. To confront all of the pain, all of the infliction, all of the injustice of our world. And it's that tension that we call Advent. We look at the problems of the world. We don't try to gloss over them. We don't distract ourselves from them. We look them square in the face, confront them. We label them as evil as they are, and we look to God for the solution. And it's a season of waiting and focusing on what God has given to the world in Christmas. And so ultimately we're not looking away From the problems of the world, we stare them in the face, and then we turn to God for the solution. So I'm going to open us in prayer, and then I will read from Isaiah chapter 9. Would you please join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you this morning for the gift of your written word. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would move in us and among us, uh, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, that you would use this to pierce our hearts, uh, that we might know and understand you better, that we would celebrate uh, the true gift of Christmas in your Son Jesus. Uh, we ask all of this in the name of your Son, Amen. So Isaiah chapter nine is actually going to just start in verse two. I, I it, it says one on the screen. That's my fault. Uh, starting in verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of tramping warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder." And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Now you may see just even right there. This is acknowledging a bleak situation, yet looking forward to the birth of a child. And this is a very famous passage in Advent. It's used in the New Testament uh, and for great cause. And what we see here, the very first thing that emerges is, now, I come up with these really convoluted titles, and usually in a longer sermon writing process, my wife fixes them for me. But they come out convoluted when they're on a short time label. So here's what it is. It's that these two Christmases, they have a shared diagnosis, but a divergent prognosis, right? And I'm pretty sure there's probably a way to properly pluralize both of those words, uh, diagnosis and prognosis. But what, here's what that means. They both look at the same problem. Both our cultural Christmas and celebrations and our Christian Christmas, they both look at the world and say, ah, it's really dark, there's lots of bad stuff. There are uh, evil people, wicked deeds. There's selfishness, all of this other stuff. And they both agree on that. But where they part ways is one of them says, what we need is just to band together, decide to be more loving, be better people. And the passage we just read, uh, in fact, the passage we just read is a continuation, no surprise, of chapter 8. And the last verse in chapter 8 says this. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Now, one pastor I was reading, he looked at his passage and he said, now, what's going on here? In chapter 8, chapter 9 of Isaiah, and it says they are looking toward the earth. What that means is they're looking toward human resources to fix the world. They are looking to their experts, to their scholars for solutions. Yes, they admit as well as we do, that we are in darkness. But the belief is that we can overcome it ourselves. And people make the same claim today. Now, some people look more to the state for solutions. Some people look more to the market. Everyone looks to technology to solve our problems. Yet, we all share this identical assumption that, yes, things are dark, but we believe that we can end that darkness with intellect and with innovation. In other words... Our cultural Christmas asks us to look inside of ourselves and decide to be better, and then we can all band together and solve the world's problems, uh, both the big and the small. But historic Christmas understands that the problems are larger than we can handle, and we need to look outside of ourselves for hope. In fact, if you look at nine uh, chapter 9, verse 2 there, it says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone meaning the the solution is coming from the outside it's not these people in darkness found a way to lift themselves out of the darkness no on them a light has shone and here's what isaiah 9 recognizes and this is what this should be very liberating for us during advent is that the problems of this world are overwhelming they are You can admit that. This is a a safe place. We all acknowledge the reality. We don't pretend that the world is different than it is. We don't need to do that because we ultimately are following what we believe is the solution to that problem. But the words of Isaiah 9 are resonant not just in Isaiah's time, but also at the time of Jesus' birth. Now, at the time Isaiah was written, the kingdom of Israel was literally divided into two different political bodies. Can you imagine God's people being divided into two opposed political groups? That's crazy. Okay, I know. Maybe something more relatable. The other thing that's happening in the time of Jesus is, uh, people looked at this passage and they, they were like, we don't, this was written in a divided kingdom. We don't even have a kingdom anymore. Can you imagine the people of God having to live in a secular nation? That's what they were saying in Jesus' time when they read this passage. And at the time of Jesus' birth, there had been hundreds of years of silence from God, no prophesying, no great revivals. It felt like God wasn't even there. In fact, many of God's people looked like they no longer even followed after God or behaved like he existed. Can you feel the weight of the problems? And this is our great celebratory passage of Advent is it starts by like looking at the darkness acknowledging the full weight of that darkness and so here's our tension is we've got these same problem we both look at the same problem we've got a different solution we see these problems they're just overwhelming and it feels like what could one person possibly do about this what could even a church full people or a nation full of people do about all the problems in the world so the problems are overwhelming and here's this the final point is that the solution looks underwhelming. The reason we're so tempted to look inside of ourselves is because we think, you know, with technology or with the smartest people on earth, we can solve these problems. But what solution uh, does this passage offer us? It's in verse 6. Uh, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government should be on his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Do you see the apparent craziness of Christmas? Like, the apparent craziness of a Christian idea of Christmas. We look at all of the world's problems. We don't gloss over anything. We acknowledge all of the dirt and the despair and the hopelessness. And we look at that and we say, don't worry everyone. We've got a baby born into a poor family of an oppressed nation. We're good. That's the message. And something doesn't quite add up here. People would look at that and they'd say, I'm sorry, so wait, the good news is that God sees the problems of the world and then he comes in human form and trusts us enough to change his diapers. That's the tension of Christmas. But what you'll discover, if you have not already, is that As you go through Advent, as you go through Christmas, as you read these passages, and you read the life of Jesus, it is this child who turned the world upside down. And he did it through his deep love for each and every one of us. This humble child born into poverty will uh, be called the wonderful counselor, the one who comes alongside, the one who comforts, the one who heals. We'll be called Mighty God, the God in flesh, God among us, Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, who will solve all of the conflict uh, in our world, and his government of peace will know no end. He will establish justice and righteousness. And remember, as we talk about all of the things that wear us out, it's, it's almost impossible to fathom. As we watch uh, our news and our trials and everything that goes on in the world today, We we hope for occasional justice. We hope that occasionally one good thing happens in all of this. We're like watching this just, you know, with our fingers crossed, waiting for a good outcome. And what this tells us is that, no, this government will bring justice and righteousness and it will have no end. And so, why do we favor this Christmas of Christianity? Cultural Christmas promises us joy and hope. But it is a hope in ourselves to solve all of the injustices of the world. And the reason that we need the Christmas that the Bible offers us is that each one of us contributes to the brokenness of this world. For all of my good intentions, all your good intentions, all of our good work, we still hurt people. We still oppress. We still act with hate and with lust. We care more for ourselves than for others. And this behavior breaks our relationship with God, and it perpetuates the pain of others, despite our best efforts. But God sent his Son into the world to forgive us of these wrongs and to free us from selfishness. One by one. Now, see that? We keep waiting for someone to just flip a switch. We're like, all of the evil will just... Solve itself if we just have a one-time quick solution, but that's not what we offer. One by one, we are turned from rebellious people into agents of reconciliation in the world. Now, even now, that may not sound that appealing to you because it is such a long and slow journey. Two thousand years we've been at this. Uh, slowly watching Christianity move throughout the world and change lives one and one at a time. But that is how Jesus conducted his ministry. It's how he taught us to conduct our ministry. And that is how we go forth. And the bottom line is, is this, it's that love is the least efficient thing in the world, but it is the only effective thing. I'll say that again. Love is the least efficient thing in the world. The way that we have chosen to go about solving the world's problems by trusting in Jesus and by loving other people and by being transformed ourselves, it is the least efficient way to tackle this problem. And so we don't follow after Jesus because we believe he's an instant fix for all the problems in our lives and our worlds. But it's the only effective, it's the only deep and lasting way to bring about meaningful change. And so, as we wrap up our time this morning, I want to start off Advent by saying, who is it in your life that needs to hear this message? That, yes, we see what's wrong with the world. We don't put on rose-colored glasses when we come to church on Sunday. We look at all the problems of the world, but we have a solution, and it's in Jesus. And this is the real celebration. And remember, it seems like the fastest solution would be to say, well, just, you know, let the professional preachers, you know, get out there and spread that message. But... It spreads one by one through the act of love, the act of generosity, and the act of sharing with someone else. And that you're not asking them to abandon their Hallmark movies. By all means, watch a Hallmark movie with them. But share with someone who may not know or may have forgotten or may have lost touch with the real meaning of Advent and invite them into, uh, this celebration of Jesus' birth, but also this period of lament and waiting recognizing the world's problems and our shortcomings and our contributions to the problem and turning to Jesus for the solution. Will you please join join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for the gift of your written word. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, entering into our world. The problems are, in fact, deeper than we can comprehend. The solution seems more far-fetched than anything we would come up with ourselves, and yet We have seen it in our lives. We've seen it in the lives of others that your Holy Spirit, through the gift of your Son, Jesus, has transformed each and every one of us, continues to renew us, to transform us. We pray that that work would not stop with us, but that you would bring it to maturity and that you would cause it to spread, that we would be a light into the world, that we would no longer walk in darkness, but that we would see uh, the goodness of your gift and of your Son. We ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.